If you would, please open your Bible to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. We are beginning a series on the book of Philippians. If you're wondering, are we going to go back to Genesis? The answer is yes, after Philippians. We'll be back and pick up with the life of Joseph in Genesis, which is where we left off. But, you know, I often ask people, what's your favorite book of the Bible? And one of the books that I often hear from people is Philippians. I told somebody this morning in the the pre-service prayer group where we meet to pray before the service, hey, we're starting Philippians today. And he said, oh, that's a good book. I said, is is there anyone I could mention that you'd say, oh, that's a bad book. Don't, don't preach that book. But Philippians, yeah, it's got, it's often a favorite. It's easier than many other books in the Bible. It's got a lot of memorable one-liners. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was 19, one of the books that I read and reread was the book of Philippians, and I would write out on cards, index cards, different one-liners. I was like, yeah, that's really good, and I'd put it on my wall, or I'd use it as a bookmark. I'd be seeking to memorize it, but why are we studying Philippians this summer? Well, this book gives us what basic Christianity is meant to look like. What it means to be a follower of Christ, what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And, you know, I think there are times where we can all assume the basics. I think there are times where we can drift from the basics. I once read about the the Green Bay Packers and their famous coach, Vince Lombardi. Uh, They had a season in 1960 where they ended the season in a loss in the championship game to the Philadelphia Eagles. Cue cue the applause for the Eagles fan. And and so he opened, Vince Lombardi opened the next season training camp by holding up a football and saying, gentlemen... This is a football. You think about that. Like, yes, these guys, since the time they were children, they have been playing football. They're well acquainted with football. High school, college, pros. Yes, they know this. And yet there's something about going back and starting at the basics. Gentlemen, this is a football. And Philippi is a church where Paul is taking them back to the basics. They were a church that Paul and Silas planted. If you want to read about that, that's in Acts 16. Paul and Silas came to the church and planted. And now, 10 years later, Paul and Timothy are writing to this church to encourage them, to remind them of basic Christian Christianity, and also to warn them about some influences that were in the church and coming from outside that could lead them astray. And so this is basic Christianity. So if you have your Bible open to Philippians 1, let's begin reading together in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Lord, in our time this morning, we have had a refrain of praise to you. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Praise the Lord. Jesus is a great Savior. And Father, I I thank you for allowing us to gather like this. We're all coming from different weeks. Some of us good, some of us not so good. Things weighing on us. There are brothers and sisters, Lord, who can't be here today for various reasons. Father, we pray that you would speak through your word And make us wise. Help us, Lord, with the basics. Help us, Lord, as we seek to live out what it means and what it looks like to be Christ followers. And I pray for any who are here today who are not yet following Christ, that it would at least be clear. The invitation would resound. They would hear in my voice, Lord, they would hear your voice. You're calling them to come, to follow, to repent of sin, to turn to Jesus, and that they would see in him a beautiful Savior. And so we pray for your help in our gathering this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, these opening verses establish for us what is basic to Christianity. And so let's first look at the foundation, the foundation of basic Christianity. The foundation is laid very simply in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So rather obviously, the foundation of Christianity is Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. It means he's the Messiah. It means that he is God's king, God's man. That's what Christ means or Messiah means, God's anointed. 
And he is mentioned seven times in 11 verses. We actually don't have Christianity without Jesus. He's that foundational to the faith. As we see in this passage, he's called Christ Jesus. He's called Jesus Christ. He's called the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes he's just called Christ. It's his person and his work that makes Christianity Christianity. Now, it is common. You would say, oh, this is a basic. It's like holding up a football and saying, this is a football. You would think that with this being so basic that it would just be clearly understood. But it is common in our day and age to hear people say, I am a Christian who don't actually know Jesus Christ, his, perfect, his person, and his work. They don't really know who he is or what he did, and they're not actually trusting in him. There was a, a time years ago, I was, I was in my first years of being a pastor. I was learning in one setting to how to bring people in as members of the church who wanted to join. And there was a woman who wanted to join the church. And so I, I sat in this, this meeting and uh, she was in her mid-60s. She had been a part of various churches all of her life. She had sung in the choir. She had helped feed the homeless. She knew the name of Jesus. She called herself a Christian. But at the end of the day, she was seeking to get right with God and stay right with God by being a good person. She said that. She said, I would like to join this church because I am a good person, trying to be a good person. And we got to the, the fact of, well, have you actually turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus alone? That Jesus lived a perfect life for you and died on the cross for your sin and was risen from the dead so that you might be saved. And here's what the woman said. She said, I have never heard that before. Her whole life raised. And so she said, yes, I do want to turn from sin. Yes, I do want to stop trying to be so good that I win God's favor because I see now that I can't. And she trusted in Christ. She was baptized a few months later. It was glorious. Christianity is based on Jesus Christ. And we, we can't go away from that. That's why it's foundational. We also learn in verse 2 that Christianity is based on God, our Father. God is not just this generic God. He's not the man upstairs. Basic to Christianity is that for those who've trusted in Jesus, we have a relationship with God where he is our father and we are his children. The fancy kind of theological word for this is the doctrine of adoption. We sang about it this morning as we were orphans and yet made his children. Once we were not God's children, the, the term that was, that's given in the Bible is we were God's enemies. And yet he made his enemies his children. He adopted us through Jesus Christ. So God is not distant from us. God is not keeping us at arm's length. He loves us as his beloved children. This is basic to Christianity. God is our father. So the foundation includes Jesus Christ and includes God, our Father, and it includes, you see the words there in verse 2, grace 
and peace. Grace and peace. Those are glorious words. Grace is unmerited favor. It's it's doing nothing that could actually earn a right standing with God. And he freely gives it. It's just incredible that we get to have a relationship with God as our Father. We get to have Jesus as our Savior. No one is saved by working for it. There is no way to outweigh your sin by doing good things. Otherwise, that verse would read, wages to you from God, our Father. But it doesn't say that. It says grace to you. Grace, because salvation is a free gift and it ushers us into this wholeness, this this peace with God, a right relationship. And we sang this morning, and I wrote it down, where it says in the line, ruined sinners to reclaim. That's a great picture. He he brought us back. He reclaimed us. The, The relationship is restored. There's peace. There's peace from God. It's not wrath. It's not condemnation that comes flowing out of him. And it's not wages. It's grace and it's peace. And so these are not throwaway words at the beginning of a letter. Like Paul's just kind of writing like, hey, Philippians, how is it going? No, these words are laying a foundation for everything that you and I have in a relationship with God. Here's basic Christianity. Here's the foundation. Jesus Christ. God your Father, grace and peace. And you'll notice Paul opens many of his letters in a similar way, laying that foundation afresh with each and every local church that he writes to. And so we have a foundation. A basic, basic Christianity is founded. We also notice then as we make our way in the passage that there are these marks this, this tone, if you will. What, what does Christianity look like? Well, there are marks of basic Christianity. Basic Christianity is marked by affection. Affection, and you hear that in verses three and four. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in Every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And then look at verses 7 and 8. He says, almost like he has to convince them. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul, Paul says, just ask God how much I love you, how, how affectionate I am. I mean, this is some serious affection. And it's amazing Because it's not based on Paul doing really well. Paul is in prison. Paul doesn't know if he's about to die. It's very uncertain. So affection's not based on him having things go well for him. It's also not based on the Philippian church being a perfect church. Because later in the letter he has to address areas of disunity and bring correction. So they're not a perfect church. The affection, he tells us here, 
is the affection of Jesus Christ. He says, I I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Paul loves these people because God loves these people. Christ has purchased these people with his own blood. And he, he takes up Christ's affection in his dealings with them. And that sets an example. We are to take up Christ's affection in our dealings with others. Basic to Christianity is that we are marked by affection. Now, if you have been a Christian for any period of time, you know that this is easier in principle and more difficult in practice. Perhaps, perhaps even now, there are brothers or sisters in Christ that you struggle to have affection for. I mean, think though. Think of Christ's heart for you his affection for you amidst your imperfections, against your flaws, Christ loves you. Christ came and died for you. God brought you into his family. And then think, the same is true for them. And ask God to grow in us that heart of affection. There's a, a pastor north of here, In downtown H.B. Charles, he pastors Shiloh Church, and he said of this passage, he says, the people were on Paul's heart, not on Paul's nerves. I love that. That's a great picture. People on our nerves, people on our hearts. And Grace Covenant, I think this is just an appropriate moment for me to just point out just how I thank God for you. I was, just, I was going through this, I was seeing what Paul was saying, and then just many of you coming to mind, and I was just overwhelmed, like, oh Lord, this, thank you for this church. Thank you for these dear saints that you are at work in. He saved you. He loves you. He, he is at work in you. I see God's grace in your lives, where you are no longer living for yourselves, but for him who for your sake died and was raised. Moms, I I shared at the beginning, but I share again. We thank God for you, ladies. Faithful and servant-hearted. And the many ways you pour that out. For those that are serving in all the different ways that make Sundays possible. Or make church life possible. Or are about the work of discipleship and leading others and counseling and caring. We thank God for that. This is partnership in the gospel. And and I I have to add, beyond our walls, I thank God for the churches in our city. There are some great, faithful churches in our city proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, glorifying the Savior. Ah, what a joy. And then our partnership with Sovereign Grace Churches and and what we get to do together in, in other cities, mismeeting people. It's like, wow, you love the Lord. Praise God. Church, we have so much to be grateful for. When this affection is missing, or large problems are looming, or problems are looming large, church, 
we are drifting away from basic Christianity because basic Christianity is marked by affection. Another mark is joy. Paul is not just praying. He says in verse 4, he's making his prayer with joy. And joy is a theme that comes up many times in this letter. Uh, Philippians is known as the epistle of joy. An epistle is just a fancy word for letter. It's a letter marked by joy. And this is surprising. It's surprising when you realize, okay, Paul's writing from prison. Prison is not, is not the penthouse. It's not the, the presidential suite. He's in, likely in Rome, in prison, because he mentions Caesar's household. He mentions the imperial guard later in the letter, which would mean this imprisonment took place at the end of the book of Acts, Acts 28. And so I think, okay, what what would I sound like if I was in prison? I would be tempted. I would be tempted to, here's my letter of complaint. Hey, let me send you a letter of wallowing in self-pity. Here you go, Philippians. And yet, he's writing and he's marked by joy. It's easy for our joy to go up and down on the elevator of our circumstances. And so we have this man and his elevator is in the basement and he's marked by joy. And and you begin to realize this affection, this joy, you begin to realize, Paul, you're an odd guy and Christianity is an odd thing because people don't do that. Paul, he has affection for people who are imperfect and even annoying. He has joy even though he's in a really difficult and a very uncertain situation. He has no idea how it's going to turn out. How can this be? Well, we go back to the foundation. Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, security of being in the family of God, God his Father, grace and peace. He He's not looking for his situation to bring that for him. He has it from God. And so you and I, this is is part of the Christian life, is you and I coming back to the basics of joy in these circumstances where we find ourselves. Where we say, I want to seek and I want to find joy, not in that other person's response. Not in whether that conflict is getting resolved or not, not in whether I'm being treated unfairly or have been mistreated, not in, wow, I just blew it because I said something I shouldn't have. Not going there for joy, but going back to the Lord for joy. So these, these are markers or marks of basic Christianity, affection, joy, and then also we see assurance. Now, assurance sounds like something for advanced Christianity, you know, the higher level of Christianity. But look at what Paul says, verse 6. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So what God began in the Philippians by saving them, he promises, and Paul is confident, he's going to finish. 
You and I start lots of things. We don't finish them. God, anything God starts, he finishes. And this fancy word, the, the theological word for God starting a work, a good work in us, the fancy word of that, for that is justification. God declares sinners righteous on the basis of Jesus' righteousness. That's justification. The moment a person first trusts in Jesus, God's declaration goes forward and they are declared righteous. He began a good work. That's when he begins. And the fancy word for God completing a good work is the word sanctification. This is where we cooperate with God as he makes us more and more godly in our character, more and more like Christ. So from the moment we first believe and are justified to the moment we either die or Jesus comes again, he is completing that good work. We're progressively being sanctified and he will complete it. He will. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Sometimes we wonder. But he will. And so Paul expresses this assurance for the Philippians. He says, I am sure of this. Paul, Paul, how can you be sure? How can he be sure that they are going to be preserved all the way to the end? Well, the Bible speaks about true assurance and the Bible speaks about false assurance. It speaks about true assurance in verses like this, Philippians 1, 6. Uh, other places, 1 John five thirteen. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So you can know that you have eternal life. But the Bible also speaks about false assurance where people think they're saved, but they're really not. So we see this in Matthew 7. Jesus says, many will say before him, You know, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We see this in the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, Mark 4. Jesus talks about their seed sown in rocky ground. The seed goes in, it immediately springs up, but then the sun comes out and scorches it and it dies because it has no root. And Jesus compares that to someone who immediately responds and says, yeah, yeah, I like the Lord. Yeah, I want to follow him. Yeah, Lord and Savior, but there's no root. And when they hit hardship or difficulty, it exposes this person's not actually a Christian. So how can assurance be basic to Christianity? Well, we know by testing ourselves according to God's word. That's actually the whole point of the book of 1 John. The whole point of the book of 1 John is to impart that assurance and to give out, lay out tests. And so he invites the readers to test themselves, the test of obedience, the test of belief, the test of love. Those are the three main tests in the book of 1 John. I commend it to you. This is also the invitation in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Paul writes there to the Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves 
Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? So Paul sees the Philippians meeting the test. He sees God has begun a good work in them. I see it. I see evidence of it. And he has this assurance and he wants them to have the assurance God is going to complete it. This is a mark, a mark of basic Christianity, affection, joy, assurance, and then we see holiness. Look at verse 9 again. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul said that he's praying for them, and then he spells out one of his prayers. And this is a great prayer for us to pray for one another. I, would just, I commend you, the, the opening prayers of Paul are great prayers to pray for others. Because it's not like, hey, Lord, just help them and take care of their dog and they're sick, make them healthy. Like, these are substantial prayers. I pray that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. He's praying like, that, like water that pours out of a spring. He's like, I, I want your love to pour out just in that abundant way. And so, love for God, love for other, but a kind of love, love marked by knowledge and all discernment. Not everything that goes under the tag of love is actually love. And the sooner you realize that and are able to compare it to what the Bible calls love, the better off you and I are when we hear of these other versions. Affirming people in their chosen gender is not actually love. Sexual intimacy before marriage is not actually motivated by love. Seeing people dying for lack of Jesus Christ and being silent because you don't want to rock the boat for, with them and you're thinking, oh, it's more loving if, I just, if I'm quiet. It's not. Which is why Paul prays for this overflow of love that is marked by knowledge and discernment, that sees things clearly. And so why does Paul pray this? He goes on, he says, that they would approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. In a word, this is holiness. It's not perfection. It's not sinlessness. It's not a person never sinning again, but it is purity. It is a humble, repentant heart. It's bearing holy and righteous fruit that we weren't bearing before and we can't bear on our own. A mark of basic Christianity is holiness. We're not saved by being pure, but it is a great and necessary evidence of those who are saved. We are not saved by the fruit of righteousness in our life, but it is a great and necessary evidence that we have been declared righteous and he's progressively making us righteous. True Christians... True Christians pursue holiness not in order to get saved, but because they already are saved. See the difference? 
So there's this foundation to basic Christianity. It's Jesus Christ, God's our Father, grace and peace. There are these marks of basic Christianity. Affection, joy, assurance, and holiness. And lastly, there are ways that Christianity gets expressed. So this is the expression of basic Christianity. And we see this even in these opening verses of Philippians. Christianity gets expressed in the local church. In the local church. Paul and Timothy are writing to a local church. Verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Christianity is not me relating to Jesus on my own. Yes, faith is a personal decision where I personally trust in Jesus to save me. But when I do and when you do, our Christian faith is to be expressed in clear identification with the church. The letters of the New Testament bear this out. Most of them were written to churches or to give instruction for those in churches. And then here, Paul identifies three groups, the saints, the elders, the deacons. Saints are not some super spiritual class of individual to be prayed to and venerated. Saints is just one more way to refer to a normal Christian. Saints. Some are new to the faith. Some have been walking with the Lord for decades. They're his holy ones. That's what the word saint means. Holy one. They're his holy ones. Elders is one of the terms that's used of a pastor or an overseer. Elders are to lead, feed, care for, and protect the flock, protect the church. I am an elder. We're seeking to raise up other elders, other pastors in our church. This is one of the reasons I shared at our family meeting. We have Kyle Bagwell and the Bagwell family relocating uh, just about a month where he's going to train to become one of our pastors. And we're going to get to see God's grace on his life. And then he mentions the deacons. A deacon is not somebody who you have an elder board and a deacon board. A deacon is literally just a recognized servant of the church. Now, we don't always use the word deacon because I think mostly because it has a connotation to it that has a lot of explaining to do. But the men who serve on our leadership team, Ed Edwards and Steve Kampf and Eddie Eddie, they serve as deacons alongside me to help with a plurality. Our home group leaders, our deacons, those who lead, help lead our youth and our mercy ministry, our deacons. This is the diaconate in, in work. Basic Christianity is expressed in a local church. Now, perhaps you or someone you know has had a bad experience in the church. And if that's the case, I want to be one of the first, or hopefully my voice is not the first, to say, I am so sorry. I wish those were uncommon things, but it is rather common to have a bad experience in the context of a church. But what I would encourage you 
I would encourage you that the answer is not a churchless Christianity. It's not to go into just you and Jesus now and cutting out the church. Kevin DeYoung writes in his book, Why We Love the Church. Just says simply, don't give up on the church. The New Testament knows nothing of churchless Christianity. The invisible church is for invisible Christians. The visible church is for you and me. And so basic Christianity gets it gets expressed in the context of a local church. Now, this is not just church services or a church building, but gospel partnership. Look at verse three again. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now this word partnership, it's the Greek word koinonia. You may have heard that before. Koinonia, it can be translated fellowship. It can be translated sharing in or even communion. D.A. Carson, he writes about this word. He's a Bible scholar, commentator. He writes about this word. He says, in the first century, the word koinonia commonly had commercial overtones. If John and Harry buy a boat and start a fishing business, they have entered into a fellowship, a partnership, koinonia. The heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. Both John and Harry put their savings into the fishing boat. Now they share the vision that will put the fledging company on its feet. Christian fellowship then is self-sacrificing conformity to the gospel. The heart of the matter is this shared vision of what is of transcendent importance, a vision that calls forth our commitment. And so Grace Covenant Church, our, our partnership, our koinonia is not a fishing business, but rather we are in the business of the gospel. And I don't mean like a literal business. I mean our shared vision of what is of transcendent importance is the good news about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and living that out here, discipling and getting that good news out. This is the partnership. This is what we are in the business for. Now, how did the Philippian church partner with Paul? Well, they partnered in prayer for him. He thanks them for that later in the letter. It's easy for those that are out of our sight to be out of our minds. Like, oh, well, he's, you know, hundreds of miles away. I wonder how Paul's doing. But no, they're praying for him. They partnered in it with him. Look at what it says in verse 7. His imprisonment and confirmation of the gospel. They sent finances. So a person back in the day who was in prison was at the mercy of friends, family, and anyone who was going to help provide for them because there wasn't like meals just coming out for them or or things that they needed for their daily living. This had to be provided for them. And so the Philippians sent a man we're going to read about in chapter two named Epaphroditus, and he took the Philippians' gift 
and brought it to Paul while he was in prison. This is actually one of the reasons he's writing the Philippians is to thank them for their gift. Paul was provided for. They stood by him as partners. They too, though, were defending the gospel in Philippi. So he's doing gospel work in Rome. He, as much as he can from a jail cell, he's planted, helped plant all these churches, but they are defending the gospel in Philippi. This is gospel partnership. Praying, giving, laboring at the same thing. But just as today the local church is not as popular I think we could all agree gospel partnership is not as popular. You know, if it's like a car, do you want to own that car? Would you rather hitchhike? And just like, hey, yeah, I'll ride that with you, but as soon as there's trouble, I'm out of here. Or something more interesting, I'm out of here. And yet, it's easy for Christians, even for us here today, to get so preoccupied with our own lives, with our own achievements, different things we want to do, And be disconnected from anything that actually looks like gospel partnership. Listen to how one commentator, Sinclair Ferguson, puts this. He says, being a Christian means entering into a partnership with others to share in the work of Christ. Indeed, where there is no giving, no no caring, no loving, no sharing, there is no true fellowship. Now, church, I need to take this moment. I'm not sharing that quote because I think we stink at this. I share this to stir us up, but I want to commend you by and large. I look at our church as a caring and giving and loving and sharing church, not just a mere building we meet in, not just mere services. There is so much good life, so much partnership in the gospel. Praise God for this. Let us continue in gospel partnership though. Let let us not flag in our zeal for any here this morning who are casual and you've been at the fringe, you haven't really rolled up your sleeve and, and dived in. This is God's word laying out for you. Here is something basic to your relationship with him. As basic as trusting in Jesus is being a partner in the gospel. Giving, caring, sharing, loving with one another in this church. May we do that. May we pursue that. May we pursue it with others in our city. This is one of the reasons we're having Reggie Bryant come next week. He's, he leads Shiloh's outreach that we partner with and we've partnered with for years. He's coming to share an update. We love this partnership. We love these, these baby bottles and First Coast Women's Services. And it's like leading them to to keep a baby, leading them to Christ. What a a wonderful partnership. For our young people here today, we want you to catch a vision for this. Rolling up your sleeves, being partners in the gospel. Not just partners in having fun, where you gravitate to, oh, who can we have fun together? How can we rally around fun, but rallying around the gospel and getting it in our lives and being built up in it and making it known to others? Partners in the gospel. 
So basic Christianity is expressed in gospel partnership through the local church. Sometimes we need to return to the basics. I know that I do. And this is where Philippians is so helpful, laying for us a foundation, which is Jesus Christ, God as our Father, grace and peace, giving us the marks of Christianity. What does it look like? What is its tone? What, is it, what does it smell like? Well, affection, joy, assurance, and holiness. It's expressed as local churches partner in the gospel together. Uh, here, partnering and then partnering beyond the local church. If I can invite the worship team to please return. Paul ends in verse 11 saying that all of this is to the praise of his glory. It's to the glory and praise of God. That's, church, why he made you. That's why he made me to his glory and praise. It's why he sent his son into the world to reclaim ruined sinners for his glory and for his praise. And when we are building on that foundation of Jesus Christ, knowing God as our father, living in light of grace and having this peace with God, that brings glory and praise to God. It leads to that. When we are marked in these ways, it brings glory and praise to God. When we do life in the midst of a local church and we are rolling up our sleeves, partners in the gospel, it praises him. It makes God look great like he already is. Everybody begins to see he is worthy. He is great. And so let us be those saved ones who make God look great in all of these ways as those who have been transformed by his grace. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for this as we begin this series going back to the basics. We thank you, Lord, that your word gives us solid ground. And we do praise you, Lord, for your wisdom and for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for ushering us into this relationship with you. And I do pray, Lord, that you would both help us to feel your pleasure, Lord, and to know, yes, these sacrifices, these things, though hard, though difficult, when I am affectionate towards others, when I am pursuing joy in the Lord, when I'm a partner in the gospel, Lord, Help us to feel your pleasure as we do that. And Lord, I just pray that you would awaken and stir the hearts of everyone here, especially anyone who doesn't know you or anyone who has been casual in commitment. Lord, that you would use this to stir us up in the best of ways. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.